Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a computer internet mutant. And I thought I was your snack pack. Welcome to episode 143, Double Tables. Double Tables? Those tables? What does it mean? Uh, it means double tables. Two tables, or <laughs> something. Yeah, but yeah, are they going to... Each guy threw a table, yeah. one guy threw a table twice, two Stacked guys threw a table once. on top of once. each other, side by side. Mm, Are they yeah. going to like cross them over to where they make like an X? Oh, that's good. I didn't think so. <laughs> Intriguing title for a yeah. show. I guess we'll find out at some point. <laughs> but this was a super card produced by ECW as part of an internet wrestling convention being held in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Oh, we know what the internet looks like in 1995. Internet wrestling convention in 1995. Yeah, this is, this is where we. That's uh, why. They, that's why they can have it in Philadelphia because there's still only about a thousand of them. <laughs> <laughs> we can still. Uh, we, this is where we drop in the 56k sound. There's no cable internet, no DSL here. Yeah, take the yeah. dial up. Mm-hmm. Uh, You've got mail. <laughs> Good old AOL. The show would take place on February 4th, 1995, at the ECW Arena. With a sold-out attendance of 1,000 people. Yeah, 1,000 people and a merch guy. Heck Welcome yeah. to ECW. That's right. But since we're at the ECW arena, that also means... Motown Philly back again. Shane, what yeah. you got for us today? Well, you know, Philly is tough because we're there a lot and I'm having to get extra creative so i decided to look around and see what are some good burgers that they have in philly that i could try and find something similar to here and one of the top ones that were listed were from a place called lucky's last chance in the i don't know if i'm saying this right the mana yunk district or neighborhood whatever you call it this one is uh kind of a mac and cheese burger it's known as the Mac Attack on their menu. Here, I decided to go to a place down the road from my house, a lovely little spot called Gayutes. Uh, it's inspired by the band Fish, P-H-I-S-H. Shout out Trey. That's right. <laughs> uh, a lot of their menu items, I shouldn't even say a lot of their menu items, all of their menu items have some sort of musical tie-in. I imagine probably the Fish Dead yes. String Cheese incident is my assumption. Yes. Yes. Um, I ordered what is known as their Return of the Mac. Uh, I decided not to go with Michael's restaurant to give you a different version of a Return of the Mac. How did this one compare? I've never eaten the other one. Oh, you haven't? No. Oh, that's right, because it's got Cincinnati chili on it. Well, even then, it's like, you know, when you work at a place, you just just make up your own concoctions if you got to eat something. That's why I didn't get the one from there, too, because I figured, uh, he's probably had that one time and time again. We'll get something different. Plus, we're in Philly, not Cincinnati. True. Yeah, it's got green chili mac and cheese uh, between two beef patties, some arugula, a tomato concasse, some crispy shallots or onion rings, and uh, a spicy mayo. What is concasse? 
It's like a rough chopped tomato and onion uh, relish. Kind of like thing. a yeah, kind of like a onion tomato yeah. pico. Yeah, it's okay. like a, a jalapeno less pico in a way. Um, I've literally never heard that word before. So I had neither. Like, that's why I had to look it up. Cause like I've watched a lot of cooking shows and I've never heard him say that. I don't know if it's like a. It's a fish the reference. Third cousin of a chutney. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's a twenty-minute fish jam. Yeah, it's pretty pretty tasty. I, I honestly think it could use a little more spice to it. I figure with green chili mac, it would have a little more kick, but it's still. I agree. Pretty damn yeah, tasty. Yeah, I mean, Matt agrees, and he's the we know he's not the spicy wow. boy. My thing is like considering it's a cheeseburger, it wasn't very salty, which is sometimes there's always such thing yeah. as too much salt. This could have used a pinch of salt. Yep, definitely could have. But by no means bad. It oh, definitely no. uh, gave me energy to. But yeah, no, um, solid burger, and we have the energy and uh, now the extra weight to okay. smash through not only one. Yeah, double tables, double burgers. But double tables. But double tables. But something that would happen right around the same time as double tables. Billy Madison would premiere the next weekend, mm-hmm. debuting at number one in the country. It's mm-hmm. it's porno day. What? Or, or what does it say? It's nudie Magazine Day. Yeah, Nudie Magazine Day. Nudie Magazine Day. Back to school. Shampoo Back is better. I actually watched a little bit of that last that night. I'm not <laughs> One of the best Adam Sandler comedies. Yeah. He uh, peaked early, but there's some later gems as well. Um, some uncut, uncut gems. Some uncut gems. Well, I just meant like of his own <laughs> movies. Uncut gems is a whole other thing. Also a movie that I love. But as far as his comedies go, like he really knocked it out of the park for oh, yeah. the first few. I mean, yeah. For Billy the Happy Madison, Madison Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore. Happy uh, I'm a huge fan of The Wedding Singer. I think The Wedding the Singer wedding is uh, underrated. Big Daddy. Big Daddy, also great. But yeah, Billy Madison. And Veronica, uh, oh, what's her name in the, her, his girlfriend crush on in the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, so hot. She played... When I was a kid, I, uh, I got, I got a, yeah, Veronica Vaughn, I got uh, an early funny feeling when she broke Kano's neck with her thighs in the Mortal Kombat <laughs> movie, and I was like, why why do I like this? <laughs> and, well, you know, <laughs> thank you for Wilson. that. Yeah. Lewis. Is that her name, Bridget Wilson? Or Bridget I think, Wilson? Yeah, yeah, Bridget Wilson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah an, an early crush before I even knew what that was. <laughs> yeah, I was a big fan of this one. I went and saw it. The real uh, question is, 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 is it Billy Madison or is it Happy Gilmore for you? I mean, for me, it's always Billy Madison. Really? I mean, Happy Gilmore was good, but I don't think Happy Gilmore would have been as good without Billy Madison as the uh, the lead-in. Yeah, Billy Madison's a little more unhinged than Happy Gilmore. I think that I would have to do a rewatch to be for sure, but from based on, you know, to this point, Happy Gilmore is the one that I've seen the most and watched the most. Granted, I've seen Billy Madison a whole bunch. I have a one of my best friends, uh, my longest friend since I've moved to this state when I was 10 years old, knows the entire script, at least when we were kids, from of Billy Madison from front to back. And he would just, in a car with his uh, me and him and his mom going somewhere, would just pick up somewhere in the script and just go through all of the lines and drive us insane. <laughs> and then the clown song he always did as well. Yes, I mean, Billy Madison, you had Tommy Boy that came out not too long after this one, too, I think. So, I mean, they, they kind of played off of each other. Yeah. I think had you had Happy Gilmore come before Billy Madison, 
Yeah, and it's like, well, to- we all agree Tommy Boy is better than Black Sheep, even though Black Sheep is funny. It's just like, let's just do it again. Let's run it back, where yeah. Happy Gilmore is different enough than I'm really I'm literally Madison. sitting here, like, pondering your question, and I'm like... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I'm just going back... I think I probably have watched Happy Gilmore more. Yes. Just because it's a golf movie, and so, like, sometimes I just... Yeah. I want to watch a golf movie. But Billy no. Madison is probably more funny. So I remember working at Blockbuster like, when Happy Gilmore the, came out. Like, I literally sang the Back to School song. Like, I sing that all the time. If someone's yeah. like, uh, yeah, it's time to go back to school. Like, I start singing that song to people. Stop like, looking at me, swan. Yeah. Billy Madison. actually knew a guy in the his, na- his name was His name was Sean, but it was spelled like Schwan. <laughs> and so literally I had to control myself. Not to just make to the same not joke. say that joke every time I saw him. Yeah, because you, you, you don't want to... Ruin the guy's day every day. Exactly. <laughs> you got to pick your point. Pick your time. Yeah, it's a... I mean, I'd say everybody listening, run it back. If you haven't seen them, uh, treat yourself. It's not the same as... Um, it's not... They're it's, better than Jack and Jill. Yeah, it's not grown-ups. Yes. Um, one and two. Two grown-ups, two. Real bad. Yeah. Real bad movie. <laughs> but this is, you know, Adam Sandler, it is, it is peak. Nine, 90s... 90s Sandler is good. Yes. And even like, you know, fresh from the SNL farm like Sandler. Like Waterboy, Big Daddy and the and the Satan one, a little Nikki all have their moments, but they don't compare. No. No. They have their moments, but they don't compare. Yeah. And from one Sandman to another, what do we got here, Matt? <laughs> Screens showing the day and place before Joey Styles welcomes us to the show. He introduces Jason the sexiest man on earth to bringing down to ringside. Jason puts over the atmosphere in the building before insulting Styles. He then introduces his new tag team, new. the Pitbulls. New to him. New, new to him. To his faction. I thought he already had the Pitbulls for um, a while. Or were they with somebody else? I thought they were just kind of off on their own. Yeah, okay. I think they were kind of like a like public enemy situation. Okay, see, I thought he had them because at one point... They went after Mikey Whipwreck when Jason was in pursuit of the whole, maybe he just hired their services or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Okay. But the pit bulls are taunting the audience all while looking at the wrong camera. Hey, I mean, you know, well, you know, we only, we have like a hard cam and like one other guy maybe, yeah. is yeah. that about it? That just means it makes it more real. That's the extreme look. Yeah. The extreme yeah. camera. Jason then says he has brought another talent to ECW. Jason the Terrible. Oh, you mean the guy from Wing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, I know we all know. I mean, I guess we don't all know, but Wing is like a Japanese promotion that did a bunch of like goofy, like slasher type of gimmicks and hardcore matches. Oh, and so this was like an actual real wrestling character yeah. somewhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I don't know what Wing. Uh. I don't know what Wing stands for. They had an incredible logo. I've never watched Wing. Uh, I've seen a lot of fun bootleg Wing merch. But, yeah, Wing was a, you know, gimmicky ECW type of thing over in Japan at this point in time. See, I was looking at him trying to figure out, all right, is this somebody that's on the roster? Who the hell is this that's underneath this mask? If you click on certain links on the internet, it tells you that it's Tracy Smothers. But it is definitely not Tracy Smothers. Okay, yeah, like that didn't look like Tracy Smothers. There was no way that it was Tracy Smothers. It was a bit, uh, a bit... But tell us, tell us about Jason the Terrible, Michael. What, what is what, what is he wearing? 
uh, hockey mask. He's Jason Voorhees. Yes, he's yeah. Jason Voorhees to a T. Yeah, and Wing, I think they did that thing where they did the, sla- like the slashers. I'm sure they did other stuff too, but it was kind of a more wacky, like, not to say garbage wrestling, but like more of a brawl, like hardcore thing. Yeah. I don't know if they did death matches that were quite on the level of like Onita's um, FMW, but uh, it was definitely more akin to ECW than it was to WCW or New Japan or All Japan at the time. So that leads us right into our first match. Jason the Terrible and the Pitbulls, Pitbull 1 and Pitbull 2, with Jason the Sexiest Man on Earth, versus Hack Myers and the Young Dragons of Dragon 1 and Dragon 2. (laughs) Did they even say that? I was like, who are these young dragons? No. Yeah, I was just curious. That's but it's, why they're it's, one and two. Cause it's I funny. No I was like, young dragons, this sounds neat. Um, unfortunately, they don't really do a whole lot. And yeah. somehow, is Hack Myers is over? <sighs> right? Heck yeah. Right? He's the, what were they calling him? The Shah? Shah. Yeah, he goes, Shah. Shah. Whenever he like, hits people Shah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Shah. He's the Shah of ECW. Sure. I, yeah, I was very confused. Yeah, I, was take, I was taken aback as well. But hey, we're here. I mean, the crowd's cheering for the man. Yeah. yeah. As Young Dragon number one gets taken down by Pitbull number one in a test of strength before just stomping away on him. Pitbull two continues the punishment with a vertical suplex before going after Hack on the apron. Pitbull one throws Young Dragon one to the corner to tag in Myers, who comes in to duck a clothesline and punches away on the Pitbulls, delivering a clothesline on Pitbull one until he responds with a low blow. Ah, come on. The Pitbulls hit a double vertical suplex, but Hack comes right back to trade blows and clothesline Pitbull 2 before missing a leg drop. Pitbull 1 tosses Myers out to the floor, where 2 whips him into a clothesline from Jason the Terrible. Back in the ring, clothesline from Pitbull 1, only for Hack to start fighting back. But the two men hit clotheslines at the same time for a double KO. I know I've talked about this, but I like the Pitbulls. And Pitbull 1, he's got like a lean, lean Jeff Cobb vibe. It's, you know, partly that he's got long hair, partly that he's a big guy, partly that he has similar gear. But, you know, it's a good vibe to have. Yeah, he's, he, I remember when we first saw him, he had kind of that Adam Bomb, like super jacked wrestler yeah. build, just a smaller version of him. A little more, a little more explosive. Yeah. Terrible is tagged in and immediately hits a spinning heel kick and several headbutts to bust Myers open. And see, around that time, I kept watching the headbutts, trying to figure out, all right, is he headbutting like anybody that I've seen before? Oh, yeah. I thought maybe, I don't know, I don't... maybe they brought in old Samu since <laughs> Fatu was still in nope, WWF. This, this guy, just, <laughs> he worked in wing, they brought him in. Yeah, I was curious about that too, and I was like, well, maybe they just like, Wing was like, oh, just put somebody in the mask and do whatever. But this is also an internet wrestling convention, so I imagine that there's, like, huge tape trading going on this weekend. So the Wing guy means something more here than he does anywhere else at this point in America. Clothesline by Jason the Terrible, followed by more headbutts. The hack starts firing up once more, only for the Pitbulls to come into the ring for some double teams. The young dragons come into the ring to break it up but they are immediately sent packing. 
allowing a triple team to commence on Myers, with the Pitbulls flapjacking terrible onto Hack for the pin and, and the win. Post match, the sexiest man on earth is with Joey and says that fans can't see any more of Jason the Terrible. And we won't, because this is his only match. I mean, with you know. ECW. Nothing like being honest, I guess. I do. Like, uh, Joey Styles throwing shade at CNN here in like 95. He says that his arm is thicker than the heads at CNN. <laughs> I'm like, okay, man. Weird. And while this interview is going on, inside the ring, Myers is attacking the Young Dragons. While Jason continues to say the Pitbulls are going to win the tag team titles. Before Hack starts attacking them with chair shots. Jason gets cornered inside the ring by Myers and he begins to work him over. When Angel Orsini comes down to the ring in a wedding dress to slap Hack. Myers gets a couple punches in before taking Angel over his knee and spanking her. Also known as the Virgin Princess, which is what they call her on the show. But she likes the spanking, so she kisses him. Yes, she does. Hack follows up with a pile driver before leading to the back. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, I love Joey's line. If chivalry chivalry wasn't dead, it's it's buried now. It's like, uh, I mean, yeah, you could say that about most things that women do in... um, in uh, ECW. I mean, it, it's pretty fitting considering the terrible slurs that are in the first half of this match. So did Angel <laughs> help get Hack Myers over then? Is that something that we missed before this show? I assume so. I think mm. Angel is actually Jason's valet mm. from what I read. So that's why she came down. I, I'm not real sure. It was mostly an excuse for Hack Myers, <laughs> who has some heat at the moment. To spank her. To, yes. Yeah, to, to, to get more by oh. committing violence to a woman because, uh, I don't Shots know if you guys know spanks. this, but this is wrestling. And it, it does evolve, thankfully. Sure, sure. But, sure. But, you can't say, <laughs> but you can't say that even some of this stuff isn't entertaining, no matter how in poor taste it is. We then go to our second match. Stevie Richards with Raven versus Tommy Dreamer. Well, hey there, Stevie. I know I was expecting Raven versus Dreamer, but yeah. Raven's got to get—he's got to get there. We got to get there. So there's a story behind this match. Okay. Stevie had been going through an identity crisis, coming out to different ring names such as Stevie Flamingo, uh-huh. Stevie the Body, uh-huh. and Stevie Polo. Uh-huh. After sustaining a loss to Dreamer at Heatwave '94, which we saw. Richards would claim he would present the real Johnny Polo, and when 95 rolled around, Raven made his way to the ECW arena with Stevie Richards, the first in the Raven's Nest. Hmm. So he's just, you know, alluding, alluding to Raven, or alluding to the man now known as Raven, and he shows up with a new gimmick, uh, looking good, looking like an looking like extra in a Pearl Jam video. Yeah, I'm honestly looking like he should be on the stage in a Pearl Jam video. I always forget uh, how Stevie Richards looked when he first started out. Skinny boy. Yeah, very, very skinny, lanky. Yeah, he's booked at like 218, and Tommy is like 251, and Stevie Richards has like at least four inches on him probably (laughs) in height. Tommy comes out to the biggest pop we've seen him get yet. Oh, yeah. 
And part of that reason might be because he had just returned from Japan. This was his first match back. Oh. Yeah, and he looks really good. Uh, but we also get some Dreamer Sucks chance. It's not the whole crowd, but, you know, it's ECW. And everyone, nobody, nobody agrees. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like they say, don't hate the dream, hate the dreamer. Oh, or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't <laughs> the, yeah, that's good. I like that. <laughs> so the two men lock up with no one gaining an advantage until a cheap shot from Richards has Dreamer rolling out to the floor where he drags Stevie out as well. Richards sends Tommy into a guardrail, hits a chair shot across the back, and delivers a thrust kick. Stevie's unloading on Dreamer, tearing his to-the-extreme shirt before putting it on and starts mocking Tommy, even doing his pose inside the ring. It's just going to piss him off. Back in the ring, some athletic maneuvering by Richards to escape a wrist lock, only for Dreamer to clotheslining, taking back his shirt, Told you so. using it for a swinging neckbreaker, mm-hmm. before putting it back on and tossing Stevie out to the floor. What a fun spot. T-shirt for the swinging <laughs> neckbreaker? After you set it up, it's good. Good times. Tommy continues with chair shots, sending Richards into a fan holding a chair. He then chokes him with a rubber band that a fan has handed him. Okay, I thought that's what that was. Before sending him into a guardrail. A fan then hands a frying pan to Dreamer, who uses it across the head of Richards, before heading back into the ring, where Tommy scrambles some eggs with the frying pan. Oh, that's a, a nut shot Stevie, with the desperation rake of the eyes, hits a back body drop and goes for a hip toss, but it's blocked and countered into a DDT by Tommy. I mean, what a great spot. Like, really good. Dreamer with a side suplex and heads up top to hit a splash for a two count, as Tommy gets up early when Raven pops up onto the apron. Body slammed by Dreamer and heads up top again for a moonsault, but Stevie jumps up and hits the ropes to cause Tommy to crotch himself. I know, good. It's like you, you got him in the in the huevos once. Get him again. Building up. This is a good show so far. Richards goes for a super back suplex, but Dreamer elbows him off, followed by a crossbody for a near fall. Tommy with a neck breaker for two, when Raven jumps in the ring and grabs Dreamer from behind, allowing Stevie to deliver a super kick. Raven then retreats to the outside, but Richards goes for a second superkick, only for Tommy to duck and punch Stevie in the little Richards, before rolling him up for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Look at this storytelling. You can you can call it you can, you can like it or not, but there's storytelling, and Tommy with the uh, with the, the sneak win. Post-match, Raven enters the ring again, but he's being held back by the ref and Stevie. And after Raven rolls out, Dreamer takes the mic and tells Raven to go back to the WWF. And when he gets there, to tell them that everyone at ECW says to kiss their ass before starting an ECW chant. ECW, I love that everybody's um, just chanting uh, pussy. And Tommy Dreamer plays to the crowd uh, as if he's Hulk Hogan very funny moment and then it turns into ECW and it's just like oh man like shitting on Hogan to a like I don't know is it a curse word is it a slur it's it's not a word that you want to say in front of your mother uh and turning into ECW it's just like oh okay like we're we've been slowly getting there for a while but we're getting closer every time yeah 
quote, dreamer, never more. <laughs> so we head to our third match. Paul Laria with Jason, the sexiest man on earth, versus Mikey Whipwreck. Paul, um, Paul who? I'm not going to lie. Jason's got some competition here, because Paul Laria is not that... Uh, Hard on the eyes? Yeah, he's, he's a, a pretty boy himself. Gotta I mean, say, old Mr. Little Man, Mr. Giant, whatever they called him. I think his nickname was Giant, but he was a very short little dude. Yes, they called him the. Uh, okay. It's like, the I giant. mean, uh, <laughs> Mikey Ripreck is uh, not the world's most handsome man. No, he's a he's 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 the runt in like a um, in a kids movie. <laughs> he's like yeah, he's he's the runt in Stand by Me or something. It's just like oh, he's a cute little kid. He seems nice. I mean that that runt grew up to be Jerry O'Connell, so <laughs> still checks out. <laughs> pretty pretty easy on the eyes there too. <laughs> So the two men start brawling on the outside, with Mikey sending Laria into the crowd multiple times, only for the crowd to just throw him back. <laughs> like, what's his name? <laughs> Whipwreck rolls Paul into the ring where he tries for a baseball slide kick, but Mikey sidesteps it and grabs Laria's legs and crotches him across the bottom rope. Inside the ring, Whipwreck's in control until Paul connects with the head scissors and a gut-wrench suplex before starting to work the arm. Mikey begins to fire up to hit a crossbody, a vertical suplex, several fist drops, and a back body drop for a two count. Whipwreck then goes for a sunset flip, but they're in the ropes as Jason jumps on the apron. Mikey then atomic drops Laria into the sexiest man on earth to knock him down. Paul stumbles backwards into a reverse atomic drop, with Whipwreck charging at him, only to be back body dropped over the ropes. But Mikey holds on and comes back in with a slingshot head scissors to send Laria out to the floor. I mean, bring it, Mikey. It's so great to see him pull off wrestling moves. And whenever he does, they're pretty clean considering. Mm -hmm. It's not a lot, but he they pick the spots for them uh pretty well. And for a second there, I thought he was going to skin the cat and I would have shit my pants <laughs> if Mikey Whipwreck skinned the cat. Maybe one day. Whipwreck goes for a plancha, but Paul moves out of the way, sending Mikey face first into the concrete. Ow. Jason then starts attacking Whipwreck with kicks before front suplexing him through the timekeeper's table. Oh my god. Kind of harsh. Laria rolls out to continue the punishment, scoop slamming Mikey onto the broken table and whacking his chin with a chair to bust him open. He's just a kid. Back into the ring, Paul tries for a cover, but he only gets a two count. Followed by a snap suplex for a near fall. Whipwreck sent to the ropes only for Laria to telegraph his move, allowing Mikey to place him in a standing butterfly submission maneuver before turning it into a butterfly suplex for a two count. I mean, come on, Mikey. This is good stuff. Paul comes back with a low blow before heading up top, where Whipwreck meets him there to crotch him before delivering a top rope bulldog for the pin. And no! Jason pulls Mikey out of the ring. Whipwreck stalks after the sexiest man on earth, delivering a big left hand to knock Jason down before crawling back into the ring to go for a pile driver. But Laria back body drops him, only for Mikey to keep waist control 
bridging out and into a backslide for the pin and the win. So, just letting you guys know, those yeah. young dragons from the first match. Mm-hmm. Paul Loria? Paul Loria and Mikey Whipwreck. Oh, funny hey. stuff. Funny stuff. No wonder they disappeared because they're about to have a match. Because there's a point in time where I was like, oh, the dragons have been gone for like six minutes and then... They Whenever, literally, they're literally in like the first like ten seconds of that first match, and then they and, then they, and then they're just on the apron the entire match. What's yeah, up? but you never really. I remember s- seeing something about one of them being unmasked during that match. It too. was Paul Laria. Was it okay? That's the reason why, like, like it was okay for him to be unmasked because, like, probably no, like nobody, nobody knows. We didn't know was. who he was, so yeah. Had it been Mikey Whitbreak, I think it may have been a little. We, we probably Whitbreak, should tell. Because Mikey Whitbreak, <laughs> it would have had to be a storyline. If you're going to take his mask off. If it was an accident, they would have totally started a chant or goofed on it in yeah. some way. For good reason, because it would have been funny. Well, I like this match. They yeah, they put on a, a fun little contest. And still, like, you know, there's some good storytelling in uh-huh. these matches, which is what we want to see. Um, Wrestling. Yes. The... It was one of those things too. It's like you don't have to be the best wrestler, but if you got some psychology, it goes a long way. Yeah, these are two young guys who seemed to enjoy what they were doing, and it showed. So, give me more of that. So we head off to our fourth match: Axel Rotten versus Ian Rotten. Bro versus bro. That's right. What's going on here with this story behind this match? Was that a few weeks prior, Bad Breed? had faced the Pitbulls in a match with the stipulation that the losing team had to disband. Um. Obviously, Bad Breed had been defeated. That's why they're no longer together. With each of the brothers blaming the loss on the other. With Ian turning on Axel, attacking him with a chair. Bro. I mean, that checks out for Ian Rotten. He has his own... What is his promotion? I have no clue. Oh, I think he did like a... ECW-ish promotion at some point. It was obviously. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that he did a... RCW? Yeah, a chair party, if you will. (laughs) So the two brothers would meet at ringside to begin brawling, with Axel sending Ian into the guardrail several times, hitting clotheslines and pummeling Ian with a metal sign and a chair shot to the head that would bust him open. Or a very noticeable blade job. Yeah. I mean, you know... It's. I'd rather see it almost in the ring than when you stick your body under the ring, which I've seen kind of recently, which is almost more embarrassing. Yep. It's like, you guys need to find... It's like, are all the old men dead? Can can Arn or Tully not t- teach you how to blade? Mm-hmm. Can't we just get somebody shooting a fireball from the ringside anymore? Oh. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, if only, yeah, if only Smoky Mountain was still around... <laughs> More chair shots by Axel before tossing Ian into the crowd to continue the punishment up into the stands before throwing him down the steps. Ian gets a low blow to change the momentum, getting some chair shots in, gets a frying pan from a fan. Frying pans are in in 95. Mm -hmm. Only for Axel to kick it away before grabbing it and using it on Ian several times. that finger hut. That's what it is. (sighs) Ian's a fucking mess. He bladed like the best of them here. Mm Mm-hmm. They finally head into the ring where Axel just keeps working over the cut on Ian's head before grabbing the timekeeper's hammer to stab away on the forehead and arm. I mean, that's how you do it. Ian starts firing up with some kicks to the head and a running drop kick in the corner to knock Axel down before tossing him out to the floor. 
Ian goes for a double axe handle off the apron, but Axel moves, sending Ian right into the guardrail. Axel continues with more chair shots before they head into the ring, where he continues the punishment with left hands, backing Ian into a corner, only for Ian to trip up Axel, pinning him with leverage for the win. Dang. Post-match, Axel grabs a chair and just continues to whack his brother with it as they brawl to the back. I mean, you know, brawl to the back. Hopefully they didn't ride together. Hopefully they're not, like, in the same apartment. Hopefully, truly, hopefully not, they don't have to go back to mom's house. (laughs) That seems like a bad scene. Like, come on now. Tommy Boy said it best. (laughs) Brother's got a hug. (laughs) Whack him with the chair. (laughs) Brothers got a hug. Yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah. I mean, this was our... We gotta get a blood match in. Yeah. This, you know, at least yeah, there was a story was, behind it. He was pretty damn bloody. At least they got the blood early. There's so many earlier ECW matches that we've watched where they don't wait... They wait to blade until the match is over for a beatdown. Just so incorrect. We just blood, It doesn't mean anything. Are we just bloodthirsty because we haven't had blood on any of this, the... <laughs> The other shows recently. It's because it's ever since Ted Turner picked up WCW, <laughs> we've lost our uh, the squirting head of one Ric Flair. Of the, blade <laughs> the, the art of the blade job. Because even this Ian and uh, Axel match made me some of the stuff they did do when he pulled out the ball peen hammer. It reminded me of the table leg from the Magnum Blanchard quit match. Yeah, where it's like, oh, like this is brutal. So we head to our fifth match. My God. The Snowman, Al Snow, versus the Crippler, Chris Benoit. The Snowman. So the two trade wrist locks with athletic escapes shared between the two until Benoit hits a fireman's carry. Test of strength with the Crippler getting the early advantage, but Snow comes right back until the two start trading pinfall attempts back and forth. You know... Something I've noticed about ECW, if the two men are both in shape and they do a test of strength, you're in for something good. Mm-hmm. If the two men are not in shape, you're in for uh, maybe like a Mr. Hughes. And uh, so like that's always a good, yeah. a, a good a good thing to see here. Here you get Benoit bending. I don't know if you snow. realize, but we haven't seen Mr. Hughes in a little while. We haven't seen him in quite a while, but you know. Yeah, but here you get to see old Benoit bending Al Snow in half in their test of strength. Which oh, yeah. Is, it was nice. I, I was curious about this. Uh, Joey Styles says early on that Snow held down Hoist Gracie for 17 minutes. Is that true? Is that a true thing that happened? Was he a early like MMA or something guy? That I don't know. No clue. Me neither. Well, we'll I'll, I'll bring it back up at the end. I'll, I'll do some research. If you know the answer, you can email us or find us on Twitter. Let us know. Slide into them DMs. So back to the match. We get a dragon screw by Chris, then some shoving between the two, when the snowman hits a super kick, catching the crippler in the jaw. Alice into the corner where he does a flare flip onto the apron, followed by Benoit hitting a clothesline. To knock Snow down to the floor. Ah, the full flare on it. Chris hits a baseball slide kick, but the snowman hops back up to the apron, springboarding off the top rope to connect with a drop kick to the back of the crippler's head to send him out to the floor. Al then tries for a baseball slide kick of his own, 
only for Benoit to sidestep and get back into the ring where he catches the snowman getting into the ring himself. But Snow comes back with a spinning heel kick to knock Chris out onto the floor where he regroups. And everything is so like crisp and tight and done with intensity. Back in the ring, Benoit with a front suplex onto the ropes goes for a turnbuckle smash but is blocked, allowing Al to try for a top rope missile dropkick. But the Crippler sidesteps it and hits a bridging German for a two count. I mean, come on. I love Joey Salesman points out, this is pure wrestling, and everybody's <laughs> losing their shit about it. The crowd is so hot, it's so funny to see them lose their mind for 911, and then for them to also lose their mind for, like, wrestling. pure in-ring Magic. Yes, like that's the that's the word. Not to bury the lead, but it's magic, guys. <laughs> Chris stays in control with a clothesline and a scoop slam before hitting a vicious back suplex for a near fall. He tries for another, but the snowman counters to land on top of Benoit for a two count. The crippler starts insulting the crowd before hitting a body slam and a top rope diving headbutt for a near fall. And it's so great because the crowd then gets behind Al. Because they're like, fuck you, this guy's also holding it up with you. Chris follows up with a powerbomb for a two count. Snow starts fighting back, only for Benoit to stop the momentum with a snap suplex and another bridging German for a near fall. Benoit goes for a full Nelson suplex, only for Al to counter into a snowplex, which is a wheelbarrow suplex. But he's too beaten to capitalize with a cover. But he does recover enough to float over a crippler suplex attempt to hit a release German. And it's great because um, he whips earlier, Chris Benoit whips Al hard into the buckle like Bret Hart style. And then Al's selling the back and he just starts suplexing him everywhere. Snowman delivers a clothesline, starts stomping away in a corner a back body drop before hitting another super kick for a two count. Al continues with a bridging exploder suplex for a near fall, but Chris counters a waist lock to dump Snow with a release German, followed by delivering a full Nelson suplex for the pin and the win. Even Joey Styles says, match of the year candidate? <laughs> Joey Styles says it. Well... I'll say shortlist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, what was the move? Um, I wrote in my notes. I was like, I don't know what this is. And I wrote just like reverse Alabama slam. The snowplex. The snowplex. The, the, wheel, the wheelbarrow yeah. suplex. Because I wrote down snowplex. I was like, I didn't I didn't really realize what it was. I was like, it's kind of, is that a, was I anywhere close in calling it a reverse Alabama slam? Or was that something um, that happened afterwards? Yeah, it's kind of a reverse Alabama slam. Slam. At least, like, you know, as far as being like, I don't know what this, what the call is, but yeah, I mean, shit, you, we can run this one back again. a couple dozen times. <laughs> yeah, it's not over long, and everything matters. Post match, Benoit power bombs the snowman again, causing Al to hold his neck. Mm-hmm. The crippler. So the paramedics make their way out to the ring, placing snow on a stretcher. To take him out of the arena. What a cherry on a Sunday. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, cool. Incredible match. And then we get a stretcher job from a guy who 
is calling himself the Crippler because Sabu's decided to land on his head. <laughs> I was just worried I was going to read here that this would be the last time we see Al Snow in ECW. <laughs> I'm hoping that we get to oh, see him more. <laughs> yeah, I hope, yeah, I hope we see a lot more. because I mean, I know we'll see him later on either way, but yeah, I wasn't for sure how long his ECW stay yeah, is. Because, yeah. I mean, the best match we watched on that weird half Smoky Mountain show was um, yeah, the Al Snow. Was, was Al Snow. And I just remember Al Snow is the guy with the foam head. And as a kid, I wasn't as tuned into like what is good wrestling because i was it was like prime attitude i got the joke and was like i can't say this joke to people because (laughs) i does everybody want yeah Yeah. and it's a shame it's like did he get hurt or was there was or did he just got the wwf contract and it was more money because i would have loved to see him do some do some good shit in wcw well, I mean, Go. he gets initially brought into the WWF as, as the new rocker. Yeah. Which uh, also, his incredible super kick here, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. We then head to our sixth match Tully Blanchard versus the franchise Shane Douglas for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. So the last time we saw Tully was at Slamboree 94, episode 118. So I was thinking it was longer than that. For some he was reason. one of the legends. I know that's so oh, crazy because right. it seems. I remember us making the comment about like it seems too seems like Tully Blanchard's too young for these. Because I mean, at that point though, it had been like six years since we because it was yeah. literally the Brainbusters was the last time we had seen him. Before yeah, the, that that is true. But like compared yeah, when to some I was of reading Slamboree, it was like okay, I don't didn't remember him wrestling, but then was, I just thought maybe I forgot a legends match or something like that. But yeah, it but was, we. I don't know if it was 93 or 94 where we had some slamboree where it was Legends matches and it was like every other match was a Legends match or whatever and they were long and old and slow and they just weren't very good. And I don't know if Tully yeah, Blanchard was right. on that one or the next year. Which it was, was the next year. Which was they a little bit Zabisco better. in and kind of had yeah. him be a Yeah, it was Zabisco versus Blanchard. In the Legends match. Yeah, it's like, but yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah. I think so. Okay. Which is weird, too, because Zabisco See, was... I was just thinking Zabisco was brought in kind of a, a as legend. a, a yeah, totally that's a good point. replacement since he wasn't Man, around as much. I forgot about how high I was on Zabisco only right before Hogan showed up, and Zabisco was killing it mm-hmm. over, and like, with him and Orndorff were doing great fucking just, work. Oh, my God. I'm so, I'm so sad. So Tully looks to shake hands only for Douglas to slap it away. But Blanchard keeps asking for it, which Tully uses to get a cheap shot in, sending Shane hard into a corner, followed by a vertical suplex. Blanchard's unloading with right hands, a slingshot suplex for the pin, and no, the franchise kicks out. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Pile driver by Tully for the three count, but the ref sees Douglas's leg on the ropes. So the ref waves off the finish. The two start trading strikes before taking it out to the floor where Shane suplexes Blanchard onto a table, followed by an elbow drop off the apron. The franchise with a chair shot goes for another suplex, but Tully blocks and front suplexes Douglas onto the broken table before sending him face first into the ring post. Posted. Back in the ring, Blanchard comes off the top rope with a flying elbow to the back of Shane's neck, 
But the franchise comes back with shots to the back of Tully and a clothesline that sends them both over the ropes to the floor. Oh, real 360. They both roll back into the ring where Douglas continues with a turnbuckle smash, then misses a clothesline. So Blanchard goes to shove Shane into a corner, but he springboards off the ropes, landing on top of Tully for a two count. Uh, two and seven eights. Blanchard pulls the franchise through the ropes to the floor, with Tully following out to hit a not-so-rubber-band slam across the guardrail, followed by a backbreaker. Blanchard rolls back into the ring, drags Douglas up to the apron, and attempts to bring him in with a vertical suplex, only for the franchise to counter to land on top of him for the pin and and the win. And this would be the last time we will ever see Tully Blanchard wrestle. Wow. Until 2021 when he wrestles in AEW. That's that's crazy. He just straight up left. And this match is good. He kept up, and I think that it could have been longer, but it also keeps Tully safe. You know what I mean? The finish is a good finish and a respectable finish, for a man like Tully Blanchard, and maybe Tully Blanchard, like, I mean, he can't be, was brought in to lose, but you'd think he'd have some clout and, be, and you know, he put the man over, but he did it in the right way. Mm-hmm. I wish it was a little longer, but I understand the length as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're off to our seventh match. Sandman with Woman versus Cactus Jack. In a Texas death match. Bang, bang. So Jack meets Sandman in the walkway, throwing him into a guardrail, using chairs and crutches across the head and back of Sandman. Into the ring they go with more chair shots on Sandman, followed by a leg drop for a three count. But now Sandman has to the count of ten to make it back to his feet. Which he does. It's a Texas death match, baby. Cactus Jack goes right back to using the chair, including a leg drop onto a chair over the face of Sandman for another three count. Who did it first, Sabu or Cactus Jack? (laughs) Always Cactus Jack. (laughs) It's always Cactus Jack. (laughs) But Sandman makes it back to his feet once again. Jack punches Sandman out through the ropes where he's hung up by his feet, only for Cactus Jack to hit a baseball slide to fully knock him down to the ground. Jack continues the punishment on the outside with a frying pan, sends Sandman into the guardrail and follows after to hit a clothesline. But Sandman has fallen down, causing Cactus Jack to run right into the steel. Sandman whiplashes Jack down to the concrete and tosses him into a guardrail before heading back into the ring where Sandman hits a slingshot dropkick. And it looks like it's in slow-mo. It's like <laughs> Sandman should not be airborne. No. It's very funny. He is very much a sandbag. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Hard Irish whip to send Cactus Jack into a corner, but Sandman is unable to capitalize and is tossed back out to the floor. Jack goes for a leg drop on the concrete, but Sandman avoids, causing Cactus Jack to hold his leg in pain. He then goes for a running dropkick, but again Sandman avoids, causing Cactus Jack to land on the bad leg. 
They head back into the ring where Sandman hits a vertical suplex and starts working the leg of Jack, dropping it onto a chair. Woman even gets involved by hitting the knee with the kendo stick. Sandman continues to work over Cactus Jack when he picks up the chair in the ring, looking to hit the ref, which allows Jack to attack from behind and set up for a pile driver onto the chair, only for Sandman to reverse it into a back body drop. And hey, you know, they kind of set up that spot if you want to, you know, look at, you know, rubber matches with the, uh, with the, the trash can earlier in the, in the, in, in the last episode. Yeah. Um, so, you know, here we are with the chair, but Sandman learned his lesson. Sandman back to work, but Cactus Jack catches him with a boot in the corner, going for an elbow drop, only for Sandman to move. Jack's right back up to hit a double arm DDT onto the chair for a two count before tossing Sandman to the ropes and telegraphing a back body drop, allowing Sandman to catch him with a kick to the gut before pile driving him onto the chair for a two count. I mean, come on, this is what we're looking for. And also Sandman two count after the double arm DDT to the chair. Double arm DDT is still Cactus's like finisher for lack of a better term considering Cactus Jack wins matches typically with household objects. Sandman continues with a DDT of his own onto the chair for a three count. But instead of letting the 10 count go, Sandman breaks the count by going after Cactus Jack some more with stomps. It's a Texas death match. All of a sudden, Jack rips the kendo stick away from woman and starts to use it across the head of Sandman multiple times. Sending him out to the floor. Uh-oh. Back in the ring, Cactus Jack uses a chair across the head before tossing Sandman back out, then coming off the apron with a chair-assisted elbow drop for a two-count. Jack throws the chair at the head of Sandman, Oof. connects with another elbow drop for a three-count, but again, the Sandman gets up to continue brawling. Leg drop by Cactus Jack for a two-count. Goes for a pile driver, but Sandman blocks, so Jack counters it into a DDT for a three count. Only for the Sandman to sit up. I think it's around this time that uh, Joey Styles was talking about. There's some other guy that always gets up. Oh, yeah. Up north, or. Exactly. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember if he even said WWF, but I'm assuming he meant The Undertaker. Yeah, because it was very. He's un- bring his ass down here and face the Sandman. <laughs> very Undertaker esque. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you know, they're, they're building up Sandman strong with this stuff. I love where he can't get the pile driver, so he just settles for a DDT. It's like it's still <laughs> on the floor. I mean, I don't know. Jack hits two more DDTs on the concrete floor, <sighs> finally causing the Sandman to not be able to get up during the 10 count, <laughs> making Cactus Jack our winner. A new Texas Deathmatch champion. Oh, I'm just kidding. The, um, but yeah, it's like... Did he Sand- ever lose that championship? No, no. But Sand- <laughs> Sandman still looks strong even for losing yeah. because he kicked out of so much. So, like, Sandman doesn't lose a lot. Cactus Jack gave, gave, him, some, gave him some rope. You know, the nicest, the nicest man in wrestling gave him some rope. What a surprise. Wondering if that's how it was supposed to go or if he kept kicking out after he was supposed to have already been taking a pin. Because 
the ref at the very end on the count, it sounded like they were trying to count as fast as they could just to end the match. They're like, oh, okay, we've, yeah. we're running low on time. he sits up. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is going live to the internet in 1995. <laughs> I'm sure that it's, it looks impossible. Yeah. It looks like, yeah, like puzzle pieces fucking. Like, it's frozen. <laughs> Sandman's still laying there. So we head off to our eighth match. The public enemy of Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge versus Sabu and Taz with Pauly dangerously in 911 in a double tables match. Oh, hey, double tables. For the ECW Tag Team Championships. What the hell does our, double tables mean? Uh, yeah, but first, public enemies are our current champs. Correct. Just to get that out up front. But, Matthew, what does double tables mean? Double tables means that you have to put each of your opponents through a table to win. Okay. okay. So if they go through a table or they can't wrestle anymore, it doesn't matter. We just we just go in because it's ECW. They're not relegated to the back like Rumble style. That rule, I don't know. But I assume that that's yeah, but once the they, opposite once team they member through a table. Go through a table, usually they're knocked out. So Yeah. In this match. Cool. By the way, you mentioned that the public enemy was the champs. They came out first. Yep, because Rocco gets the mic, and he calls everybody computer internet mutants. <laughs> but I'm it one, also means... You're one, we're all one. But it also means foreshadowing. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, you know, I can't see why we can't put these belts on Sabu and Taz. Why not? That's just crazy. Uh, yeah. So all four men start brawling as soon as they enter the ring with Grunge and Sabu headed out to the floor while Taz hits a belly-to-belly suplex and a powerbomb inside the ring. I mean, what a way to start a thing. Rocco counters a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker into an arm drag on the maniac while Johnny chokes Sabu. Taz comes back with a judo throw to send Rock to the floor where Sabu is delivering chair shots to Grunge before sitting Johnny in the chair and then flying out of the ring with a tope suicida. It's like a, it's like the, um, almost like a, the sliding lariat, except for you set, you set him up on the chair outside. <laughs> Rock and the maniac brawling out into the crowd, using a broom handle, while Sabu continues with chairs, running Johnny into a ring post, before headed out into the crowd and up the bleachers. Grunge is busted open after a tumble down the steps. But he and Sabu head into the ring with frying pan in hand. Again with the frying pan. To smack over the homicidal head multiple times. Yeah, I mean, just compressing that neck. It's got to be fused at this point in time, you know, 30 years later. Everyone's back in the ring with Taz hitting an overhead belly-to-belly on Rock, while Sabu hits an air Sabu. Followed by an Arabian face buster on Johnny. Sabu then slides a table into the ring, but Public Enemy has recovered to take control, setting up the table themselves, until the maniac smashes Rocco's head against the leg of the table. Ugh, it looks count? it looks gross because it's like, oh, but the legs are it didn't point, break. Point, pointed upwards, like no, what about his eye? Sabu has regained control as well, setting grunge on the table that has been set up by them before going out to grab a chair, which he sits on the top rope, jumping off of it, only for Johnny to move, sending Sabu through the table. And that, is that the spot where he like 
rolls, but Sabu still catches him in the head with his leg. Probably. Because, yeah, he, like, rolls, goes to roll off of the table, and Sabu goes through the table, but it's even worse because he doesn't roll fast enough, so he catches, like, the leg basically, like, on the neck inside of his head, and it's obviously worse than if he actually went through it, but for the purpose of the match. He wasn't put through a table. He was not put through the table. Rock takes one of the iron supports off the table and starts choking Sabu with it, while Taz tosses grunge out to the floor. A table is set up against the corner, while the maniac body slams Rocco, before Taz plexing Sabu onto Rock. Such John- a cool move. I love it when a guy uses a guy. Absolutely. And it's funny when, like, Sabu's not a small guy. No. Like, no. he's very athletic, but he's not, he's not a tiny man. And the other thing is, Sabu goes through the table, but the other guy has to put you through the table. Because I was like, well, does that count? But they didn't say anything. Johnny makes his way back into the ring, hitting a belly-to-belly suplex on the maniac, followed by public enemies sending both Sabu and Taz into the table in the corner. Grunge sets up another table, only for the maniac to hit him from behind with a piece of broken table. While Sabu tosses Rocco into the table in the corner several times, even putting his head through it. Johnny is kicking Sabu's shins before placing Taz onto the setup table, while Rock uses a piece of broken table across the head of Sabu. Grunge then goes up to the top rope, but the maniac meets him there for them to brawl before both falling through the table at the same time. Oh my god! <laughs> the announcer comes over the arena saying that one member of each team has now gone through a table, so the next one will determine a winner. I mean, that's that's how you do it. The I love there's a spot where Johnny Grunge, obviously the less talented man between him and Rocco Rock, mm-hmm. uh, he does a belly-to-belly on Sabu, and Joey Styles just yells, I'll be goddamned he can wrestle. And <laughs> it was such such shade, such a such a verbal low blow to old Johnny Grunge. It's like, we all know it. We don't have to say it. But I'm glad you did, Joey. Rocco sets up another table, placing Sabu on it before heading up top while Johnny throws powder into the eyes of Taz. Oh, no. Rock goes for a top rope senton to send Sabu through the table, but the ref is dealing with the maniac, so he doesn't see it. Mmm, nasty table bump, man. It's because they go through the middle of the table, like the sides don't break. It's just like, ugh. Pop. Yeah. Rocco rolls out to the floor, and he starts ringing the bell, while Grunge is choking Paul E. on the floor. Sabu and Taz have gotten Rock set up on a table set up on the floor, where Sabu comes off the top rope with a leg drop for the win. And new! Post-match. The Maniac and Johnny brawl their way down the aisle and to the back. Brawl to back. While Sabu and 911 set up a pair of tables. One in the ring, the other sitting on top of the ropes. Yeah, it's not opened, but it's just like flat on the ropes. Double tables. Double double tables. They set Rocco on the table inside the ring, while Sabu climbs to the top turnbuckle table 
with a chair in hand. <laughs> when all of a sudden, Chris Benoit attacks Sabu from behind. <gasps> the Crippler then powerbombs Sabu onto Rock and through the table. Damn. As the show fades to black. Poof. Oof. The, and then also, Benoit and Malenko versus uh, Taz and uh, Sabu. Yes, please. That's my that's my assumption. That's what this would set up in that traditional could, wrestling. That could be some or maybe shit. just a Sabu and uh, Crippler rematch because we never really got the first match because Sabu almost went full Hayabusa. Also, <laughs> d- try not to see that clip because it'll make you vomit. I watched the recent FMW Dark Side of the Ring, and I th- was watching it, and they, they kept cutting whenever they were about to show the like botch. And then they showed the botch, and I almost fucking vomited because he lands on his forehead. And the man did did learn to walk again, not very well, but it is a horrific sight. So I ask you, gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Double Table? Between last week and this week, I'm higher on ECW than maybe I've ever been. This is yeah. This has been a good uh, collection of. Of matches. I think the thing... stories. The thing is, is that the psychology and match, it seems like they had a a more of a plan of how to, for these matches to go. Like, there's things that are set up and things that are paid off, and there's more coherent feuds and more coherent matches. So it doesn't just turn into, like, a beer swilling frying pan mess even though we still get the frying pan mess we also get a little bit of a little bit of more traditional like wrestling psychology brought in and we've also weeded out some of the less interesting talent as well so it's like we feels like we're kind of firing on all the engines we got yeah. you know what i mean see you never sow yeah yeah, yeah. Sorry, Bolamo. <laughs> You're relegated to uh, a different. Yeah, I mean, to to an an actual bingo hall. Um. Yeah. Same. It. Uh, this is a good show. I mean, for all the stuff that we've been through with ECW for the last ninety, how many episodes? Three. <laughs> is this the ninety third episode of. Hardcore TV was the ninety third episode. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we've we've honestly at this point probably watched. So yeah, we watched at least a good couple dozen ECW shows, and yeah, compared to where we started off with. I mean, this is a a WrestleMania of a of a a good show. Yeah, like, and it really, I, it really, because we watched some episodes of television um, before, and sometimes afterwards, I'm like, yeah. Well, we watched it for one match, but the episode before this really sets this up well and is yeah. a good like teaser. Like if you're gonna watch the show, which I highly suggest, I would also highly suggest watching episode ninety three of Hardcore TV because it's only gonna add to your experience, and that show is a breeze. It makes forty minutes feel like fifteen, yeah. and like not many things can do that. I don't know if you've heard about this guy named Chris Benoit. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of fucking awesome. He's so good. Everything else on the show is a bit of a brawl to a point. Yeah. There are some 
there are some matches that aren't quite that. I would like say the, Mikey Paul Loria match, yeah. but Douglas I mean, and Douglas Bonnie and Tully. Jim. I mean, it even is brawlish. But that makes sense considering Tully's age. Exactly. Yeah. And depending on how much you enjoy those, you will enjoy this show. Every, the, everything is great. With the exception of the Ian and Axel Rotten brawl, all the other, and that one still has motivation, and, and it's quick and short. There's motivation, and I'm going to give you a little give you a little spoiler on this. That's the first match in a very long, long feud. This is a uh, Tito Martel, but it keeps paying off. They, they have turns. quite a few matches, and they have one of the most famous matches. Yeah. Or should I say infamous, infamous. matches ever <laughs> later on. Infamous. In ECW. In ECW, in ECW. Uh, yes. But I would say that even the brawl stuff still has more intention. Uh, or yeah. a more clear intention, and, you know, there's spots that are called back, or there's things that are set up and payoff and it doesn't feel like a complete mess so even the brawls if that's not your thing are still more captivating brawls than some of the previous ones we've seen yeah good Where, where's the smart marks at all right fuck you i think it's time we smart it up so what are some of your favorite moments of the show Ooh. When Chris Benoit says, is this the best you've got in America? Or something along those lines to the crowd. And then they all get behind Al Snow, who has been going, has been doing arguably just as good of a job and is the underdog. And they all get behind him is a great moment in an incredible match. And that moment is one of the reasons that this match, like, that one moment adds, like, a full, like, if we're going to talk about rating a match 1 to 5 or 1 to 10 or calling those numbers stars, like that moment alone causes adds a whole half a star to the match because of, you know, the involvement. It's like it's already in, an incredible match, but bringing the crowd into it, forcing them to turn on you and get behind the underdog who's who's not an underdog in necessarily Ability, but an underdog in visibility at this point in his career. Yeah, there's a there's a moment in that match. Like we already knew, like we'd seen the Al Snow match and that we we're wildly that S, and so we were interested in what he was going to do. And then he does something in this match where Chris hit a baseball slide kick to knock him down to the floor. Yeah. And Benoit turns around and is kind of like taunting the crowd, but like literally immediately pops Snow up. pops up onto the apron, jumps up, springboards, and hits a missile drop kick. Like it was so fast, it was just like yes. It was so it was so fast that the that it made the young bucks look slow. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like that quick. Yeah. It was just like so it was quick and visceral, and it just added to his, uh, you know, the baby face of it all, the underdog of it all, the fight in him. I mean, obviously, we're all probably going to come to the conclusion. This match is a must-watch. <laughs> yes. Very good. I mean, um, we, we, we definitely said shortlist. If we didn't, if you didn't hear us before, yeah. hear us now. That match was on the shortlist. I mean, we've, <laughs> uh, we've um, creamed our jeans over the Super J Cup 94. 
and other junior tag matches uh, in New Japan. And this is like the like the Starcade WrestleMania final tournament match of all of that. Like it's crispier and cleaner and meaner than even some of those J Cup matches. The Whipwreck Paul Loria match. I really like that one. There were so I many. It. There were so many things that Mikey did in that match that was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> what What are you like? Where did you learn this? And the thing that was it, it was surprising about it was that they weren't sloppy. No, no. that was the thing. No. Is they, the way they the two were of them so worked crispy. together, it made me think that maybe he learned some of this stuff with Paul Loria just yeah. because of how well. I don't think they, these guys are flowed together. I mean, I don't know, but like, I would be wildly surprised if these guys were fucking calling this in the ring because this thing legitimately was clockwork with like you know the downtimes and then all of the you know quote unquote like the the high spots the times where they actually did an interesting or more complicated wrestling move were done perfectly and they were put throughout the match mm-hmm. like if they were doing them back to back something would have went wrong i mean you I got mean, mikey in a match this isn't chris benoit guy yeah yeah no shit <laughs> that was a super uh, surprising match and plus i'm a fucking whipwreck stan and mm-hmm. so it's just nice to I always love to see him, but to see uh, him be impressive as opposed to lovable uh, is a plus. Well, let's move over to most disappointing. I, the, the blade job by... Yeah, I was trying to Because it's like super obvious. Yeah, but at least we got blood on the show and we got it in the right match and not in a match where we didn't need it. Because I don't think we needed it in the other match. And yeah. this match is the only one that needed it because... Oh, it wasn't. It was the least. It's literally a blood feud. It was the kind of the least good match on the show. It was the most, and it still had intention, and it was still entertaining, Mm -hmm. and it didn't overstay its welcome. So it gets those praises. But if I had to cut something, in hindsight, I would cut this. I think on the show. I would cut the first match and move Laurie and Mikey to the first match because that match would have been a good... What was the first one? The Hack Myers and Pitbull. Jason the Terrible. Yeah, okay. Which I take it back. Which I didn't hate that match. No, me neither. It's it's not that I... I agree with you. I take it back. I forgot about that match because um, really that's a fine way to start the show. But after that, it's all... all, Yeah. Yeah, it's all butter after that. I mean, granted, Mikey and Paul were in that match, but having the two of them in their singles match I think would have been a... That would have been a great opener, yeah. For for me, most I mean, disappointing wise, I literally can't say that I was disappointed really by anything on mm-hmm. the show. I mean, maybe I didn't love that Raven just kept getting into the ring, but I mean, because well, they, they haven't they up. haven't they haven't technically the whole Raven Dreamer storyline doesn't really start. For another couple months, yeah. This is like, like this is a Ra- false Ra- start. Raven will finally kind of give his explanation for wanting to hurt Dreamer in a couple months, but right now it's just kind of like, what is Raven's deal? Yeah, like, this we, is a... we, we have no no story. Yeah, why kind... Raven is after? It's Dreamer. kind of like when the first time you have to mow the lawn in the spring, and you go to start your lawnmower, and you're like shit, and you're just like. 
pumping, <laughs> pushing the little primer pump, and you just pulling it for ten minutes, and you're like, I just got to get the dust off of it. We just have not like Raven is kind of it's a it's a false start for him at the moment, but you know what him and Stevie was cool, and Dreamer needs. I guess just needs to be around to, yeah. to establish himself. But it, he didn't feel necessary. How about best performer? Uh, I, mean, I mean, it's Chris Benoit. It's, it's Benoit and then Snow. Benoit, like, when he shows up at the very end to powerbomb Sabu, oh, I, was, I was just I was, like, yeah. I was like yelling at my screen. I was just like, <laughs> fuck yeah. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I was about to pop out of my chair. Like, oh my yeah. God. Like, because... Unexpected. It was un- the thing is, is it was timed well because it's unexpected, but but perf- but perfectly timed because we all know why he did it, which is one of the reasons we do this show at all is for ourselves and to you know bring context and talk about wrestling as it happens and whenever it all when it all comes together it's great and when it's surprising it's even better when it's surprising. And in an intentional way, it's always great. So it's like, oh, I didn't expect Chris Benoit to come out. But then he did, and we know why he did. Because he's a dickhead. Because he's a crippler. Because he yeah. broke Sabu's neck. How about most surprising? <laughs> um, I mean, maybe that. That a, that, a, that a gimmick match wasn't dumb in ECW? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, these... Because all... sometimes the gimmick matches in ECW, they... Overbook them. These were not. That's the. That's what we're saying. Is like okay. Even if this isn't your thing, this like hardcore wrestling isn't your thing. The matches are like well paced, and there's a feud behind it, and it makes and it makes sense. They made a Texas Death Match, one of the better Texas Death Matches that we've watched on this show. Yeah, and it was in fucking Philadelphia between the Sandman. A guy who is basically purely gimmick versus Cactus Jack, uh, a man who has no regard for his own body. What about Tully hitting like all of his big moves like right uh, out the gate? It was great. I think one like, of because li- like literally he hits the slingshot suplex like right out of the gate. I'm just like, whoa! Ooh. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's, he, like are we re- are we really like putting the belt on Tully, Tully right yeah. now? I'm like crazy. No. I mean, it's, it's okay. It's, okay, it's okay. kind of, but that's also kind of smart because like older guy goes in there. With some fire because Shane Douglas cut a nasty promo on him. He goes in there, does all his big moves, blows himself up, and loses because of it. Yeah. Which kind of informs the shortness of the match. And, you know, it's like all art. In hindsight, people can put meaning on it. And but, I mean, this was the last time we saw Tully as well. So, yeah, he had to is, get in there and do the, the highlight reel before his yeah. final I hope, bow. Yeah. Which is such a shame because it seems like he can still. If, if Terry Funk can do it, man, like why can't Tully just Blanchard? Because, just body because at this you point, can doesn't mean you should. That's true. It's true. Uh, and like his, like granted, Terry Funk goes and does all the hardcore and exploding stuff, but Tully Blanchard here is more mo- more he's, mobile than Terry Funk at this same point in time. He's got a daughter he's gonna raise. So yeah, I mean you yeah, know, he'll be a dad. No, no shade to Tully Blanchard. I think that. It was kind of disappointing because I wanted this match to go longer because I was into it, but in hindsight, I'm not mad about it. Nick and Police. the finish was perf was I think the finish was perfect. Well, Cactus Jack said last time that he didn't want to go and you know have to go and be a dad and a husband, but yeah. 
Totally did. Yeah, I mean, honestly, big ups to that. Yep. Because there's a lot of wrestlers. We all we've all watched the documentaries. <laughs> yeah. And look, his daughter went on to be world champion. Now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The dusty finish. The WWF Championship was up for grabs on March 27, 1988, in Atlantic City, New Jersey, as WrestleMania IV started. But by the end of the night, Macho Man Randy Savage had outlasted 13 others to win a single elimination tournament for the title. Randy Savage, born 1952 in Ohio to Angelo Poffo, a well-known wrestler and promoter, Savage was signed to play baseball in the minor leagues of the St. Louis Cardinals, which he did for four years, before breaking into the wrestling business, making his debut shortly after. Savage would work the Memphis area, feuding with Jerry the King Lawler before leaving for the WWF. Macho Man would make an immediate impact, making the finals of the Wrestling Classic in his first pay-per-view, before feuding with Ricky Steamboat to steal the show at WrestleMania 3, but ultimately lose the Intercontinental Championship. Savage would then begin teaming with Hulk Hogan to form the Mega Powers. At WrestleMania 4, Randy defeated Butch Reed, Greg Valentine, and One Man Gang on his way to the finals versus Ted DiBiase. Hogan would keep the Million Dollar Man's bodyguard Virgil and Andre the Giant at bay allowing Savage to win the championship. Randy Savage is a professional wrestling, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer for his accomplishments. Macho Man would defend the WWF championship over the course of the next year, when the mega powers would explode, forcing Savage to meet his greatest challenge ever. I mean, this is all this, whenever we do these, I'm just like, oh, I want to... Go back and watch. I know. It's like you said wrestling <laughs> classic, and my like eyes turned into like one was a star and one was a heart, and I was like, ah, oh, the wrestling classic. I love that show. Wrestling classic. Yeah. Steam, Steamboat. Steamboat. Yeah. WrestleMania 3. You got the Elizabeth on the shoulder at the end of WrestleMania 4. The teary eyed. Yeah, it's, yeah. Pr- it's proof that. Uh, it. Plus just every entrance of WrestleMania 4 mm-hmm. for him and her with their wardrobe change each time. Oh my god, so good. Yeah. The, the pageantry. Yeah. You can't take that away from Randy Savage. Nope. <laughs> but man, yeah. Just makes, yeah, I'm getting nostalgic for watching wrestling that I just did like a year or two ago. Starting this show and I'm like nostalgic for going back and being like, oh. Because it's always the more you know, the more you appreciate the good shit. Dun, 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 dun. And, uh, you know, we, we all know Savage and Steamboat, but I would highly suggest the Wrestling Classic. Next week, Super Brawl 5. Y'all ready to brawl? I think so. I always get confused. I'm like, Super Brawl, Slamboree, which one's Super Brawl? Is there a gimmick on that one? Is there? I don't know. Not maybe. really. Yeah. No, sometimes. Like, they did the Sting, Vader, Castle, White... Castle of Fear, Fear or something uh, like that. I miss those Brawl. vignettes. Miss those vignettes. Oh, good. <laughs> Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was Super Brawl 3. Yeah. Super Brawl 2 was where Lex Luger made his exit to go be a bodybuilder and become the... The man, the Icro Pro man? 
the, the I'm not Hulk Hogan man. <laughs> yeah, sure wasn't. <laughs> Music from this week's episode is Thunder Kiss 65 by White Zombie. Five, 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 yeah. yeah. And Sabu and Taz won our main event. And their theme song was the theme from Jaws, Great White Shark by John Williams. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. <laughs> we always talk about like how it's a shame that some of the stuff is just like the stock music they put over it. And I get it. Like If WWF owns all of ECW and they pay for all those songs, that's so much money. ECW didn't even pay for all those songs. They did Yeah, they were doing some Wild yeah, West. Yeah, they had to pay for songs. But nah. Yeah, they did. <laughs> they did, but they, they got, just didn't they do got, it. Yeah, they got away with it. Only if you get caught. Yeah, I mean, they ECW eventually gets caught in their own bullshit. <laughs> if you like this episode or any of our other ones, go out there and rate review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, recipes. Going to Baltimore next week. Ooh. Soft shell crab sandwich. Probably don't want to get one of those from Oklahoma. I made you get crab cakes the first time. Yeah, that's right. Mm. We'll have to see. We're going to find out what's good in Bodymore Murderland. Maybe some chowder. (laughs) If you have any of those things for us, you can always hit us up on our email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H I S T O X. Uh, watch the show, guys. Please. Do it. Laters. 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 We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>